The Yellow Submarine soundtrack, January 13, 1969. The Beatles come to America. Yeah, 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 yeah. Episode 16, The Yellow Submarine Soundtrack. Welcome to the Beatles Come to America podcast. I am your host, Tom Galker, along with that Beatle guru, Brooke Halpin. Today, we are talking about the Yellow Submarine Soundtrack. The album was released in January 13, 1969. Before we get into this album and our discussions, we got some housekeeping notes to talk about. And one, I have a podcast. It's called Something Came from Baltimore. It's uh, an interview show, more jazz, R&B, and blues. It's not really about Baltimore, but we want you to subscribe and be a part of that Be More music scene, and the link is in the show notes. The Beatle guru, you know, he sweats that Beatle DNA. He's all-knowing when it comes to the Beatles. You can follow him on his Facebook page. It's called Come to America with the Beatles and Brooke Happen. The link is also in the show notes. We also have a Facebook page just for this podcast. Uh, we are running about 20 episodes, so you have a, a little more time to go onto the Facebook page and rank the Beatles' U.S. albums from from begin from from the best to worst. And trust me, it's a lot harder than you think. The link is also in the show notes. As a bonus, at the end of every episode of the Beatles Come to America, we have the original Brooke Halpin song, so you want to stick around for that. We hope you subscribe, participate, and enjoy. Just remember. We love the Beatles, so love us in our comments and enjoy our other creative project. Now, let's start the interview. Hello, Tom. Hey, welcome to the Yellow Submarine. Well, thank you. I'm ready to get on board. I want a one-way ticket, please. Yeah, you got a hole in your pocket. Well, at least half a hole, huh? <laughs> well, at least half a hole, yes. <laughs> How do we get out of here? Singing. One way. Hold on. Ah, that's the only way. Yes, singing is the only way. That's for sure. Yes. And and here we at it. The Beatles come to America. How are you? How I'm doing all right, Tom. Thanks for asking. Um, we got the yellow submarine, and we all live on a yellow submarine. Um, offhand, I'm going to tell you right up front, this is my least favorite album. It's a soundtrack, and I really like what they did with the 1999 release, where they basically added all the songs that... All uh, the other songs that are used yeah. in the film, yeah. 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 That yeah. one went gold. Uh, it hit number 15 in America. It did better in other countries. They had all the songs they omitted one which was a day in a light thing it's not what we have from the double platinum yellow submarine soundtrack that came out on june 13th 1969 the movie debuted in july 1968 in london the songs that are on this album are recorded before the white album and then the soundtrack came out two months after the uh, white album so for that reason it never hit number one it hit number two yeah. Um, and it was, you know, behind it. This is a little different. Normally we talk about what do you think about the album cover and what was your thoughts when you first got the album? We'll add what was your thoughts when you first saw the movie? Well, first of all, we got to put this in, in the time, in the time sequencing, the timeline, right? The White Album was released in, on November 22nd, 1968. The Yellow Submarine album that we're talking about was released six weeks later in the U.S. on January 13th. We're coming off the White Album, which, as we know, and we discussed at length, is the most eclectic mix of songs that the Beatles ever put together on two discs. It was overwhelming in a way, and it illustrated how talented and how diverse they were as writers. So now this album comes out, Soon afterward, the movie, yes, the movie was released on November 13th, 68, in the USA. But, you know, that was about a week before the release of the Wine album. So I didn't even go to the movie until it didn't show up in theaters in New England, at least not in Connecticut, until 69. So this whole timing, I think, was kind of screwy. I mean, you typically, right? I mean, look at the release of Hard Day's Night album. 
Heart Beats My Movie, the Help album, the Help movie. It's a coordinated effort because it's cross-promotional. The movie promotes the, the soundtrack, the soundtrack promotes the movie, people go see the movie. This is all screwed up. They released the movie on November 13, 68, and then they released the album two months later. Oh, what the hell is that? So this is, this is to me, is a disaster in the beginning, just from, because of those points. And those are very, very big points in terms of marketing and promotion. I think you would agree with me. I mean, this is ridiculous. Wouldn't, so, you, wouldn't you say that this is something that if Brian was there, he would have had... Oh, absolutely. More, yeah. he would, oh, oh, he would have had far more control of the situation. Yeah. It seems like they were just spinning out of control at this point. Yeah, and also, when the movie came out, they didn't care about the movie. You know, they had no interest in the movie. As years went on, you know, later in, in life, they liked it. But at the time, they didn't care about this movie. They cared about the White Album, of course, and that's where all their attention was. And then the album was released on January 13, 1969. What were the Beatles doing in the beginning year of 1969? They were at Twickenham Studios trying to stay together. And it was an absolute disaster. That was when they started doing the whole Get Back sessions, which eventually led to the Let It Be album. So they were completely, well, not completely, but they were George quit during January of 1969. So, you know, when the album was released, I, I don't even know if they even knew about it. <laughs> they, may, they may have, but they were, they were elsewhere. So that's, these are all problems that I have with the album. Now, now I have the problems. Now, when the album came out and I got the album, I, and you probably know what I'm going to say, because you know me quite well, I would play side two, because do I need to hear Yellow Submarine, which came out in, you know, the summer of 1966? I mean, how many more times do I need to hear Yellow Submarine? Do I need to hear All You Need Is Love Again, which came out, you know, in the summer of 1967? No, I've heard, I mean, I love the songs, especially All You Need Is Love, but this is nothing new. So to me, it's like side one is, okay, so there's four new songs, and then two of the songs are leftovers from the Sgt. Pepper recording sessions. They didn't record the songs for the movie. They didn't write, George didn't write only a Northern song and it's all too much for the Yellow Submarine movie. He wrote those songs not even knowing the movie was going to happen, thinking that it might be on, on Pepper. So it doesn't work for me, this whole thing. The only thing that works is side two because it's new material. And at the time, I was a student and I was studying orchestration and symphonic pieces by composers from all different periods of music and, and going to the symphony orchestra. And so therefore, side two was far more appealing to me and it was new, it was new material. So I'm really, really now, this is, yeah, this is a very, very disappointing album. At the time, yes, it, you know, I wasn't, I w would never say what I'm saying, and, you know, when the album came out because I played it but again I, did, I didn't play side one much at all I'm, I'm in buying stuff from the 70s this was the last album of the Beatles I bought because pound for pound I knew that this was a bomb not a bomb per se but I'm just saying that what I'm looking for in a Beatles record it, it didn't have it I did get excited about seeing them at the end of the movie uh, because it's the only time you see them and they did all together now so that was like to me that was like a video of, yeah. of seeing them it was very pleasant yeah. And I did see the right. movie multiple times before I bought this, the soundtrack. I can't get excited about George Martin. I can I can be pleasant and acknowledge his his work, but yeah. as a Beatle fan, I this was not what I wanted to to, to get my hands uh -huh. on. If we were ranking them, this is the last. This is in last place. It'll never change. I'm sorry, it was number two, and it went platinum one time. The reissue yeah. went gold. It the movie didn't do well at the time, but boy, does it have legs now. It has a. I mean, it only cost a quarter of a million dollars to make, which I think right. is really like cheap. Right now, it has a Rotten Tomato of ninety. Seven, they made the money back. There was a streaming deal on Amazon in 2018 that's unknown. No one knows how much that is. And there is marketing up the wazoo on uh, Amazon. There, right now, there's 35 pages of interesting little toys and and uh, shirts, right? And all the merchandise, merchandising. Yeah. After 50 years, you know the whole yeah. yellow submarine and the the art direction. 
is live and it's it's very hot but uh as an album uh we can definitely go into it i can we skip yellow submarine well yeah i mean what's the point we already talked about yellow submarine when we talked about revolver you see that's the problem with this album and and by the way the the movie the back excuse me the back of the album has got all this nonsense which i don't even know if i even bothered to read it back then i was reading it before you called and it says here that the, the uh, a beautiful people beautiful pleasure domes and agnes the inquisitive babysitter next door in california united states of america you know what is all this nonsense you know all this all this stuff on the back of the album which again to me doesn't even make any sense yeah i guess they were trying to do some sort of a synopsis of what the movie was but i don't think it i mean it does kind of work they talk about old fred and lord mayor you know the apple bonker and the chief Lumini and glove and the snappy turtle turk and all that stuff but anyhow no again you see this is the problem with this album it's there's nothing other than songs that are coming up no there's no reason to talk about yellow submarine and of course they had to put it on there because that's the name of the movie of course they had to put yellow submarine as the opening track on the on an album about the movie i mean i don't fault them for doing that but it's nothing new so there's really nothing nothing to talk about it other than to say yeah it's an appropriate song for a movie called yellow submarine <laughs> okay <laughs> You were agreeing with me, Tom. I was agreeing that the Yellow Submarine, the song itself, what it does, it brings in new generation of Beatles fans. You know, people who feel that they've aged out of the Beatles now have children and play the Yellow Submarine movie and all of a sudden they fall in love with the Beatles and then want to know more. But it's a great way to introduce the Beatles to your children and show your love for them. And then they turn around and become Beatles fans also. And then they start to learn and love the, the material. And um, Heinz Eidelman is the art director and the for this movie, and it has a really cool look to it. I think I would say I would like to have a re-edit. It's long in some places and kind of boring <laughs> in, in other places, and sometimes it's it's uh, needs a little more explanation as to what's going on. But I do feel that Monty Python, who obviously has a different art director, it's Terry Gilliam, really stole, I guess, the look of Yellow Submarine. Yeah, well, we're talking about two different things now. We're talking about either the album or we're talking about the movie. So which one do you want to go through first? Because I have a lot to say about the movie. Do you uh, want to do the movie first or do you uh, want to go through the tracks on the album? Oh, you're scaring me. You have a lot to say about the movie. Okay, well, let's go right into <laughs> let's go into the songs. So we're, we're skipping Yellow Submarine and we're going right into a, a, only a northern song can't believe that this would be a song that was lined up for Sgt. Pepper or potential song for Sgt. Pepper, but it's definitely a discussion of, of George not getting paid his royalties. John and Paul were making 15 cents. Ringo and, and George were making 8 cents. Uh, I'm not loving this song. Could do without it. I don't know why it's uh, well-loved uh, through the years, but um, it's not one of my favorites. This was recorded in February. 1967. Now, what were the Beatles doing in February 1967? Strawberry Fields Forever and Penny Lane had just been released. Again, context. George is griping and he's pissed off about his publishing arrangement, and that's why he writes the song. That's the inspiration. But the, the song itself could, production-wise, Tom, production-wise, it does go along with the production sound of Sgt. Pepper. I think you would agree with me, production-wise. So that's maybe what he was thinking of, I, I would imagine. I think all four Beatles were thinking about, well, okay, we're working on a new album, and the new album is Pepper. So that would make sense. And it is a leftover from the Pepper sessions, because this was going on during the recording sessions for Pepper. And this is George really doing electronic music and experimenting in a way and it is bizarre and what's also bizarre about it is that there's no guitars on this song there's none <laughs> for you know this is the Beatles band right the beatles and there's no guitars on this song which i find quite unusual so we got a lot of organs and then there's speaking voices you know there's george is speaking and john is speaking which again is kind of that avant-garde experimental element uh, going on here 
and there's noises going on. Uh, there's lots of, lots of glockenspiel played by John, and then uh, John's playing some piano, and, and he's speaking along with George. And of course, you know, Paul is kneeling down the bass. Well, what's also interesting is that there's lots of trumpet on this song, and guess who plays the trumpet? It's Paul. There's lots of trumpet on this piece. The trumpet was an instrument that his dad gave him when he was young. And, you know, he used to mess around with it, but he didn't ever play it much. And But if you listen to the track, I mean, it's loaded with trumpet. And that's Paul playing it, you know, unlike George Martin you know, <laughs> hiring a real trumpet player from the London Symphony Orchestra. It's Paul just messing about. Yeah, but the but the trumpet part is is processed and it's manipulated, which again is part of the you know electronica electronic experimental sound of the piece. And there's you know there's timpani in there and there's mellotron. So it's 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 a, it's an interesting piece of music. And they needed songs for the movie. So this was a leftover. And they put it in the movie. And then they worked around to make it fit with the movie, even though it wasn't written for the movie. Mojo Magazine ranked it the 75th out of 101 greatest songs of the Beatles. If you pull this album out and, and said, oh, it's a kid's record, it's a kid's movie-ish, and only a northern song on it, you're like, what is going on here? That's not Yeah, what the hell is yeah. this? It's very bizarre. Yeah, yeah it's bizarre. It, it doesn't match yeah. up. It shouldn't match up. It's not a song that does. But the third song, All Together yeah. Now, is a perfect song for this um, movie, and it was actually released in Europe as an A-side. Hey, Bulldog was a the B-side, and then uh, the song has a lot of life because Andre 3000 from Outkast did a Nike commercial for it for the 2010 uh, NBA Finals. And just recently, in May of this year, 2020, Lizzo just did a, a Facebook Messenger commercial with this song all together now. Uh, people know this song. B, C, D, can I bring my friend to tea? A lot of people don't even know that the Beatles did it. This definitely could have been a single. I know it's only like two minutes long. I think time has been generous to this song, and I think people really like it. Yeah, it's obviously a Paul song. <laughs> definitely Paul. But again, this was not written for the movie, even though it does work with the movie. It does. Of course, they save it for the very ending, which we'll talk about. But it was recorded in May of 1967, when Pepper was just about to be released. And they didn't, Paul didn't write it for the movie. But it's a very, very fun song. And they are having a total blast when they recorded this. I mean, they're just having so much fun. You can hear it and all the tracks. It's really wonderful. They were really together as a band, just having a, just a barrel of laughs when they recorded this. And as you said, it was not produced by George Martin, which is unusual at the time. It was produced by Jeff Emmerich, their engineer. And of course, he was still around working with them, you know, back in May of 67. And John uh, plays quite a bit on this album. You know, he's playing banjo, harmonica, and the ukulele. Uh, George is on acoustic guitar, and then Paul's on bass and acoustic guitar, and Ringo's playing triangle and finger cymbals and drums. It's a very happy song, universal song about unity. It's very simple. People can certainly understand the song musically. It's not complex at all. And it's for everyone. You know, he even says, Paul says, black, white, green, red. So, you know, black, white, green, red, you know, one can say that, okay, well, there's everyone all together now, all of you, you know, all the colors, all of you. So in a way, it's, I think, it is a very positive, very positive song about bringing everyone together. It's a song of unity. It really is. And I think it will always be popular in that sense, independent of its use in the movie, uh, which we, we already said was used at the very end. And I will say this, even though we're not talking about the movie now, but it's hard not to, <laughs> is that when I did see the movie in, I guess it was 
uh, early, I think it was like early 69. The movie ended and they all came out, oh, are we going to go out? We're going to go out singing, you know? Oh, that kind of thing. And then everybody, not everybody, but most of the people in the theater, they all, as they, as we were leaving, we were all, you know, people were singing this song and people were holding hands and strangers were had arms around each other. I mean, this song is very, it's, it's a lot more powerful than it is on the surface. And that's a good example of how powerful the song is. I mean, people were actually doing that, walking out of the theater. It was just, we were walking out on a, on a wave of positive energy, uh, not only because of the song, but because, you know, the classic war between you know, good and evil and love and hate and how the Blue Meanies were defeated. Okay, and the people of Pepperland uh, came out above, and the Blue Meanies actually were converted. You know, which is really remarkable when you think about it. When when you when we left the theater, we were just oozing with positive energy and and good faith and and believing that everything's all right. What a wonderful thing! What a wonderful way to to end the film. My God, it's incredible. The uh, next song is also like really become a landmark song uh hey bulldog which is not even in the film right they're calling it the best or the best of the beatles they're calling it number 27 and uh there's covers by fanny alice cooper steve i and duff Uh, it was very dormant on the soundtrack, and I'd say in the last 10 to 15 years, it's become like a really hot song. Uh, and it's fine because it's a great song, and there's a great video of the song that's really cool. Um, um, John Lennon with his uh, beard and mustache looks really scary to me, but I can get over that. I, this is a, a big plus for me. I like this song. I think it's one of the best songs John ever wrote. The sound of Hey Bulldog is absolutely amazing. Right from the very beginning of that infectious piano riff. And then Ringo and George come in. You know, Ringo plays the same rhythm. It's a syncopated rhythm on his drum to go along with the piano. And George playing the riff on his electric guitar. And then Paul then comes in playing the same riff and rhythm on his bass. That riff, it, oh, it's just one of the greatest riffs in the Beatles catalog that I love so much. I mean, really, it's just fantastic. It's, I think I find it to be quite addicting. Now, here again, this song was recorded before they went to India. And as you said, they recorded it right around the time they did Lady Madonna. They did not, John did not write this for the movie, although... Given the you know the the characters, the animated characters in the Yellow Submarine movie, where there are these in the Blue Meanie world, there are these screaming dogs running around. It would have been perfect, and it's it's rather confusing because they had it in Yellow Submarine uh, with initially they did. And then it was cut when it was released in the U.S. because it was it was too long. But then when the re-release came out, then they put it back in. So it's kind of you know it, it's in the movie, it's not in the movie, it's back in the movie. It should be in the movie for the reason I just said, because there are these menacing blue meanie dogs in the film. The song is incredible. I, I can't quite find the adjective, but I do know that you know that John is also playing. Not only does he play the piano, but he's playing the guitar. He doubles the guitar riff with George. They're both playing that, and George's lead guitar solo is just blistering. It's amazing. They were having so much fun 
that they did this rather quickly in the studio. It's also what I've always found to be quite appealing is that the chorus, if you listen to what's going on, you can talk to me, you can talk to me, if you're lonely, you can talk to me, that whole bit. The, the chords are moving upward in the chromatic way. That means step by step on the piano, which is just brilliant composing. I mean, really, what a great idea to do that. You can talk to me. You can talk to me. You can talk to me. If you're lonely, you can talk to me. And so, for those reasons, this song to me sometimes, you know, sometimes people ask me, well, what's your favorite Beatles song? And sometimes I'll just say, hey, Bulldog. Out of all the songs, sometimes I say, hey, Bulldog is my favorite song. That's how much I love this one. And, and this, to me, is by far the strongest track on the album. I mean, there's no competition. was completed after Sgt. Pepper. Uh, Rolling Stone gave it a top of all time for the psychedelic freakouts in rock history. Steve Hillage made this song like a, one of his cornerstones. And again, here's another song that was a leftover from the Pepper Sessions, recorded in end of May and early June, not written for the movie. It does work in the movie. Yes, it does. It's another electronic piece by George, experimental. And the lyrics are very LSD-ish. You know, George was doing, and all the Beatles were doing LSD at the time. This song it has a nice... Uh, sort of pounding rhythm. I mean, Ringo plays a, a a really great drum drum track on this. I must say. I mean, Ringo's drumming is outstanding on this track. I think, and the drums sound deeper, or they produce differently somehow. Uh, they sound great for sure. The you know we got George again. Now he's at least. It starts with that screaming feedback at the beginning, which is. Interesting. You know, feedback was popular in 67 with Hendrix doing all this feedback, you know, so we've got that great opening with the feedback on the electric guitar and, and George and John are both playing lead guitar on the song again. You know, John's playing quite a bit of lead guitar here. And then, of course, George is playing a lot of organ, too. He's back on his organ. Now, this time, see here, you can hear the difference. The trumpets and the bass clarinets. You know that's not Paul playing the trumpet. <laughs> it's all too much because George Martin arranged them and brought in musicians probably from the London Symphony Orchestra. Hand claps is very interesting. I mean, the hand claps, I never heard hand claps like this. I mean, they, they're processed for sure. But boy, those hand claps, they almost sound like a, a whip, like a, a low whipping sound or something. I don't know how the hell they did it. Really, afterward, he couldn't stand uh, what George Martin did. But I disagree. I think what George Martin did made the song more interesting, in my opinion, because the song is six minutes and 27 seconds long, for God's sake. And you need to add stuff and take stuff away to make it interesting. You know, if you have all the same thing, all the instruments going on for six minutes, it gets to be a bit uh, tedious sound-wise. So then, you know, when they come in, it's like, oh, well, but that's something different, something new. It's fresh on the ears. Toward the very end of the song, and most people don't even know this, although it is very obvious. George says, you're too much, John. We are dead. I mean, it's so clear. 
It's like, whoa, whoa. I mean, what is he saying? Why is he saying that? We are dead. The Beatles are dead because John is too much. Yeah, that's pretty heavy stuff, George. I must say, too, that George's lead vocal is outstanding, I'd say, one of his best lead vocals. And toward the end, when they're going, too much, too much, and then they're going, too much, too much, and then all of a sudden becomes tuba, tuba, cuba. You know, they're clowning around, they're having so much fun, they go from too much to too about to Cuba, which again is very beetly, a little beetle trick, for those of you who might not know that. I did not know that. I can't wait to listen to that again. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> then we follow up the album with All You Need Is Love, which uh, we've talked about in previous episodes. Yeah, we've talked about it extensively. Yeah, yep. before uh, we talked about it because it's on the Magical Mystery Tour album. And again, you know, came out in Magical Mystery Tour toward the end of 67. We'd been listening to it for six months as a single. And now we hear it again? It's, it's been on two albums already, for God's sake. You see what I'm saying? I know it works, okay? I know it works because it's true. All you need is love. And it's the love that defeated, defeated the Bluminis and converted them, okay? Love prevails and love wins. I... I know that, I believe it, and I love that about it. But this is the second time All You Need Is Love is on an album. You see what I'm saying? So I'm not impressed with it, even though it's it works with the film. This soundtrack album, to me, and even when they did the re-release, the re-release is a stretch because, you know, when they say, love you too, you know, they use it for like maybe 10 seconds in the movie, maybe 12 seconds, or they use, you know... Uh, parts of the song for just a brief amount of time. So I don't, you know, I think that the music on this movie could have been different. The Beatles could have, Tom, if they weren't so busy falling apart while Paul's trying to keep them together in Twickingham in January or back in December after the recordings of the White Album. You see, but they were exhausted. I mean, to do the recording of the White Album, it's like, how in the hell are they going to, in December, they're gonna, now they're going to go into the studio and they're going to write, they're going to have new songs for the movie. But that's what this movie needed. Could you imagine if the Beatles were working with the animators and they were getting, you know, rough cuts of what they were doing? And they said, listen, we need you to write six new songs for the film. Could you imagine what they may have come up with? We'll never know, because that didn't happen. But that's what should have happened. But time-wise, it was impossible for that to happen. And that's why they threw in the leftovers, and they put in songs that were not written for the movie. Out of solidarity for all the other soundtrack albums, I am not going to comment on side two. <laughs> okay, so we're going to go. You do the filibuster. Okay. We're back with the Yellow Submarine. I'm here with Tom. Uh, we're doing the Beatles Come to America. Uh, we're talking about the Yellow Submarine album. And those of you who have been listening, I hope that you're enjoying the show. How are you, Tom, this afternoon? We're getting back into side two, I know, which is one of your favorites, I understand. Is that right? <laughs> uh, my hands are <laughs> class. I'm basically, I'm not having it. Uh, okay. <laughs> so this is my least favorite album for all the things that we've talked about already and this uh, instrumentals and the other side I'm not loving these songs I wish they would have real Beatles songs on them so here we go I'll name what they are and you tell me what your thoughts are about each one the first, okay. first one is Pepperland
Right, Pepperland. Now, okay, Pepperland is one of my favorite tracks on side two. And it's a 41-piece orchestra. It's very cheerful. It's very lyrical and melodious. It's got lush strings, and it moves around. It does modulations from key to key, and I love it. This is one of three of my favorite pieces on side two, and that's one reason why I would play side two more often, because I just loved listening to Pepperland. And it's appropriate, because during the happy times in the movie, obviously these are, these are music cues written specifically for the film. Unlike what the Beatles did, George Mark composed music specifically for the film, for different scenes. You see what I'm saying? He did, which I wish the Beatles had time to do. George Martin did it. The Beatles didn't have time to do it. So it's perfect because when you see Pepperland in the beginning of the movie, everybody's happy. You know, it's like it, it's it's like the summer of love. Animated summer of love. Everybody's happy and smiling and there's flowers everywhere and everything's cheerful. So he nailed it. Right? He nailed it. George Martin did. It was perfect composition and orchestration for the scenes about Pepperland. And it's a standalone piece, and I play it periodically on my radio show. That's how much I love this one. It's a standalone. It works fine. You don't, I don't even need to hear it with the movie. It works without the movie. Okay. And you go into the Sea of Hoes, 
And which is interesting is because you can, again, you see, this is what a composer does. And I've scored films, so I know what George Mark was doing. He was looking at the actual footage. The composer looks at the footage with the director, and they decide where the music should be and what type of music it should be. Okay, so you holes now. So you can actually, it sounds like, I mean, the music is going downward, and it sounds like it's dripping. The music is in a downward motion. Sounds like it's going through holes appropriately enough. And then George Martin got the whole backward beetle bug, and he's got backwards harp going on in the Sea of Holes. So even George Martin, you know, the classical conservative Mr. Martin, was using some backward techniques. monsters and this is really quite fascinating because I was expecting something other than what I heard on this track because he actually uses uh, something by Bach which is Bach's air on the G string toward the ending but he does use backward uh, tape techniques backward masking again you know, toward the ending of this piece I, I, I don't know if this if he hit the mark on this one. He nailed Pepperland, he nailed Sea of Time, and he nailed Sea of Holes. But Sea of Monsters, I would have expected more. Now, what he did with the March of the Meanies is is brilliant and spot on. And this piece is a standalone piece, absolute standalone composition. And I, I wish that there was more of what he did in the March of the Meanies in the Sea of the Monsters. That would have made more sense compositionally for me. But the March, I, uh, this is one of my favorite pieces. You know, lots of marimba. It's really great, great themes. The orchestration is fantastic, and it's also quite melodic. I think uh, George Martin did an absolutely brilliant job with this, with the March of the Meanies. Absolutely one of my favorite ones. And then the last piece, well, you know, uh, excuse me, uh, not the last one. Pepperman, uh, Pepperland laid waste. Now, this is an interesting one, too. I like this one. 
it's really a variation of the Pepperland melody that he used at the beginning of Sonnet 2. At times, you can hear sort of a, a variation of the melody. And one of the things I love about it is that when you, if you look at the film, during this, these scenes in, in laid waste, which means it's been pretty much demolished by the blue meanings, it's all gray. Right. They took away all the color from the beautiful color animated film, those so damn blue meanies. The the starkness and the orchestration what he did was he used what sounds like harmonics on the strings, which is kind of an eerie, eerie sound, which emulates desolation, I think. And so he again he did a great job of hitting what the visuals in the scene were. Uh, I give this, uh, this one could almost be a standalone as well. So, on side two, my favorites are Pepperland, March of the Meanies, and Pepperland, Late Waste. And then we end, of course, with the everything is wonderful now and, and the blue meanies, even the the chief blue meanies holding flowers and he's giggling and he's happy and, you know, it's cheerful. And it starts off as a march, by the way. Uh, the orchestration is, is absolutely outstanding. And uh, it's sort of a variation, of course. I mean, not sort of. It is a variation on the Beatles song. Yellow Submarine. And there you have it, folks. So you can hear by the way I'm describing this, and I hope by my description, is that you and other people might, you know, listen it to the side two again uh, with my commentary. And if not, that's fine too. But uh, perhaps you might want to, you know, reconsider giving side two another listen. And again, you know, when you watch the movie and you're listening to these cues, they work perfectly. And I think most people would agree with that. Thank you for accepting my uh, tantrum. <laughs> you, <laughs> you, you just you just hang in there. And you just took over. I totally appreciate it. So when you look at the soundtrack, where are you at with it? Are you? Uh, and let's go through A through F. Like we we basically are, are raving about a lot of our the Beatle albums, but in this in this case, when it comes to the soundtrack, how happy are you with this? I'm not happy with it at all, except for side two. Side one to me is for reasons I had expressed earlier. Those songs were not written for the movie. I mean, for God's sake. It's an animated film. It's a new Beatle movie. Give us some new songs. It would be like if they did help and they used, you know, songs that we'd already heard, two other songs that we already heard in 1964, and they put them on the help movie. You know, people would have been very disappointed. So no, this this is not side one. Does not is not intended for this movie, with the exception, of course, you have to have Yellow Submarine. But you know what? They could have. How about this, Tom? They could have recorded a, a different version of Yellow Submarine. Now that would have been really cool because they would have matured, right? And they could have done a different arrangement of their their own song. That would have been really interesting. That would have been a very cool idea. And I'm surprised that no one even thought of it or did it just the way that they sent it out to the world it was like a minor failure of theirs at the time but i think if you look at their career 50 plus it's it's definitely a highlight and it continues okay all right we'll talk i guess either next week or if, if you change your mind you know we'll you want to do we'll you want to do next next sunday yeah that's fine two o'clock five o'clock your time let it be yeah yeah that we are on thanks tom all right i'll talk to you later all right. Take care. Bye-bye. Next episode, The Beatles, Abbey Road. Now enjoy an original Brook Hoppin' composition, Late at Night. That's just the way life is.
Sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry. That's just the way life is. That's the